my own heart from the inside out and the promise that wherever I go, the blood of Christ is sufficient there also. And from sitting here in this room, because of the blood of Jesus, the power of Christ, we can make a difference around the world. It's the power of Christ. It's amazing. I want to just encourage you, if you are interested in knowing more about uh, the strategy of working in uh, Puga, uh, there will be a time after the concert tonight uh, where we will be able to hear uh, more uh, about the strategy of the work that goes on there. And so um, I have found it to uh, be very encouraging to me to hear the strategy and instructive to me here. Uh, and so I think that you would benefit in a major way uh, by attending that time afterwards. Um, and I hope we will see tonight. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. So if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Have you ever asked yourself that? Most any good young boy has probably asked himself that question and fantasized that out, played it out. Uh, it happens on a daily basis at our house. Uh, sometimes I ask him, what superpower do you have? You know, just to see where he's at, you know. Uh, so what superpower do you have? Um, wouldn't that be amazing just to imagine uh, God saying to you, you name it, the superpower is yours. <laughs> he has. He has. But uh, perhaps maybe not just to fly, but there's something in a, a deeper way. And, and so when Acts chapter 3 comes, we, we have this new community. Uh, we've seen the, the Holy Spirit has come and has created this community. And in Acts chapter 2, we've seen in verse 42 through 46 how they are wholehearted devoted to one another. Which, by the way, have you been praying to experience God's presence? You know, that's, that's one of the things that we learned, that they were, they were fully devoted, wholly devoted in the breaking of bread, that the Lord's Supper and, and prayer, and the idea is being devoted to God's presence when we're to, with together, and then they're devoted to one another, and then they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, and, and to say that these have authority over us, let us know more of this. And so I, I pray that as you've come, that you did so with anticipation this day, praying Asking God, let your presence be known. I'm going to tell you, for, for those of you who struggle through my sermons, and I know that's bound to be a few of you out there, all right? One of the greatest helps to make me preach better is if you pray, God help me to know your presence. You'll be amazed how better I can get <laughs> when you have that prayer and that we pray that together. And so uh, here they are. Uh, and, and they are, as the Bible says, they are an attractive force that God is, is bringing people to them. And so what has started as several thousand now every day that people are being added to their numbers. And so 
what we come across now in Acts chapter 3 is what scholars would say is the beginning of ministry to Jerusalem, uh, where it has focus, and we're going to see how that starts, what snowballs from this. Uh, and it's a, it's a great story, but it's the story of the first miracle of the church. Remember, Jesus said that it's good that I be uh, removed so that the comforter can come and greater things you will do if I go. And so they're about to experience some of what that means uh, when the Holy Spirit decides to work through them in miraculous ways. And so we already know that they're speaking in tongues and, and the effect of that and how all nations right from the very beginning, right from the first sermon done in multiple languages as a a way to let us know from the outset that this gospel is intended for all languages and all tribes. And so uh, let's follow along with with, uh, the two characters, Peter and John, and we're going to look at three main perspectives of this story, the story of the disciples, Peter and John, the story of a lame man, and the story of the audience and learn a lesson from each one of these. And so as we look at this, let's stand as we read this together, beginning with Acts chapter 3. If you'll read silently as we read aloud to you. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which would have been in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of these entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To these we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until a time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the people who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You may be seated. You keep reading the next chapter, you'll, you'll find that in this second sermon, that is very much like the first sermon that Paul preached, another 5,000 people come. Two sermons. Around 10,000 people and men so there could have been more than that that's amazing and this is the power of God at work and and you and I've shared with you before that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ if you're not sure about who he is are you believing don't believe in God you're going to have to come up with some plausible explanation for why the church exists that's a challenge to you to think through that if you're really honest about not who Jesus is if you're really honest that you don't know who he is, then search that out. How do you explain the existence of the church apart from that? Acts gives a pretty good explanation and all flowing from the power of God. And so I want us to look first at the perspective of the disciples. We're going to look at the laymen a little bit and then the crowd. But the disciples, what's going through their mind and what lessons do they learn? There's quite a few, but I just want to bring out one. Here's the first lesson that they learn, that God has a powerful desire to save a people for himself. Peter and John get this huge lesson, and the end result is when they walk away from that, they think God has a powerful desire to see a people for himself. And so there are certain consequences of that, if that is true. Just think about that. Peter and John, they are firsthand, they've been in the boat with Jesus, literally. They have seen the miracles of Jesus. They are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, turning people to Jesus Christ. But for the very first time, when Jesus is not there, I mean, they, they, Jesus has sent them out. He's supervised them. He's uh, delegated authority in times past. So Jesus has prepared them for this moment. You understand that? But this is the first time that Jesus is not on the earth. All right, and so that is kind of remarkable. You remember riding the bikes without training wheels? Okay, uh, and so there's, there's, no, there's no one to go back to and say, all right, Jesus, there's just the Spirit of God and in that role of the Spirit in their life. And so it's interesting to note that as believers, they are going through the same rituals as a Jew. They're going for their regular prayers. I was talked with you last week how these new believers, not only did they have the Sunday morning, the, the, the day of the resurrection where they would gather together, they would also have the Saturday Sabbath and they would have all the Jewish uh, uh, parts of the, the religious worship. And so here they are, they're going to the temple 
and, and it's in the afternoon, and you can see the scene. Can you imagine if you, the homeless uh, that you might come across in, in the Raleigh area? But these people, this guy is a lame man, and he's been a lame man for a long time. In fact, in chapter 4, it tells us that he is in his 40s, and he's been lame from birth. He's been here a long time. Everybody of that generation knows, oh yeah, there's so-and-so. He's there at the gate again. He's asking for alms. And so Peter and John are going up uh, for their prayers. And so for whatever reasons, this man asked Peter and John for alms. I think it's interesting that Peter and John said, silver and gold, we don't have. You think they were lying? (laughs) Were they saying, I don't have it in my pocket right now. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about what's in my car. (laughs) They're they're not going to say, Oh, yeah, I don't have anything on me, uh, which means, okay, I've got money, but my money is for my food. I don't have money available for you. I, I don't think, I mean, those are things that I would say, to be honest. I would say, okay, yeah, I've got money, but those, that belongs to my kids. I've got some, some hungry kill, children at home. <laughs> I mean, they, these are the type of things I'm thinking. But, but Peter and John, I don't think they really have silver and gold. You know why? Because in Acts chapter 2, we've seen that they are giving of their stuff with one another as they have need. And so they are no longer dependent on just having a fat account. They're dependent on God working through the people. And so they don't need to carry around silver and gold. And so I don't think they're lying here because God told them not to lie. And so they simply said, we don't have silver and gold, but what I do have. And so they do something a little different. They, they, they are looking at this man, and this man, they say to him, look at me. Now that's kind of funny, right? I mean, it's okay for me to say it when I've got a bunch of you. But if I'm just talking to a couple of you, and I say, look at me. <laughs> All right? We've kind, of, we've kind of entered a new dynamic. That's either I'm, I'm about to scold you, or right, I've got something significant that I want you to do. Well, that's what they're doing. This is, Look at what I'm about to say to you. Don't miss what I'm going to say to you. And so, can you imagine being at this moment? Peter and John, you're there. What would compel you as a follower of Jesus Christ to say to someone who's been born lame, oh yeah, get up and walk. And the power in the name of Jesus Christ, I tell you, arise. How do you get there? That's like, okay, yeah, I, that happens in the Bible. Peter and John says, okay, that happens with Elijah. But no, they, it says that happens with Jesus. And it happens with the spirit of Jesus. Why did they want to talk to this man anyway? I have to believe that the spirit of God was compelling them, was prompting them. Listen. When you are obedient to the word of God and you are surrendering all that you know as sin, when that is happening, listen to the inner promptings that may be given to your heart and mind when you see that there are promptings about loving someone. I share with you before that when that happens in my life, I chalk it up, that's not natural for me. I don't naturally love people. I don't naturally give my stuff away. 
So if there is ever a voice in my heart saying, give something, share something, you know that it's not yourself. Listen to the inner promptings when they are glorifying to God and when they are conforming to the word of God and they have love involved in it. All right? And so here he's doing that. And they have seen the Spirit of God work, and they know that God is interested in seeing lame people come to get right. But more important, for God to get the glory. So when this actually happens, it lets them know when a powerful desire is exactly that, a desire with great power. Jesus is wanting to extend his power. And so not only do we trust his power, which means that we're under his power, we're under his authority, do not Do not expect to see the authority of God displayed in your life if you're not under the authority of God. Do you get that? If we're not under the authority of what God has told us to do, do not expect to see God's authority displayed in the lives of hurting people around you. You do not have enough, we do not have enough to heal the world or even one person's life. But God's authority is can and does and so peter and john are now trusting in the power of god which means they're under the authority of god and now they're extending his power they simply state it arise get up how do we extend the power of god today prayer prayer is huge it is the god's way to release his power in this world today. And so, if we don't pray for God's working in the lives of people, it is, it is revealing that we are not depending in God's power at work and we're not under the authority of God's power at work. All right? Now, so, let me bring this out. What's the lesson from the disciples? That God has a powerful desire to save a people for himself, so trust his power, extend his power, and depend on his power. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go through depending on God's power and you start extending God's power, you start laying claims and say, God, will you claim this child, this person for God's kingdom? Will you work in this situation? Well, as we prayed this morning to say, will you blind the eyes of people who want to stop the gospel? If we start praying things like that for these who are lost to come to know Jesus Christ, if we start praying things like that, and faith, and trust, we're going to have to be put in a position where we will depend on God's power. What I mean by this, what happens to Peter and John? Interesting enough, a lame man gets, uh, gets well and becomes to walk, but as you skip ahead in chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested. One man walks free, Peter and John get restrained. And then they get attacked by the leaders. And what we see is the beginning of persecution that happens with the disciples, and it all starts with Peter and John saying to a man, get up and walk. When the world sees the power of God at work, they will attack God's power. A lot of us want to see miracles take place. Do you know it comes with a cost? If you see God's miracles at work and you're a part of God's kingdom authority being established, you will endure the attacks of Satan. 
Peter and John could walk free before without any threat until they do this miracle or see this miracle being done. When that happens, they are put in a position where they have to depend on his power. Listen, I want to say something to you that's really significant. I want you to write this down think about it. The healing of the world. The healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. The healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. This man gets healed. Peter and John get put in prison. From this point on, every time you see miracles take place, someone pays a price. Now, is that really true? Consider what Jesus himself said. What did Jesus do? He came to save the world. He did it through the cross, right? But then he said, but this world will persecute me. And understand, if they do it to me, they're going to do it to you. If you follow the heart of Jesus Christ, then you will go and down, walk down the same steps of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, that his sufferings was completing that which was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, how was Jesus' sufferings lacking? They were not lacking for your salvation, but they were lacking in that they have not yet healed the world. The, the world has not yet accomplished or seen the gospel come to them in healing. And so as the church goes out, we are completing the mission that Jesus came. And as we complete that mission, we will pay the price of that. So church, Green Pines, if we follow this mission, if we want to see discipleship communities that will reproduce in Nightdale, East Raleigh, you, I, must pay a price. It will be financial. It will be numerical. It may be emotional. It could be physical. Any number of things. Of us being dispersed out. I was sharing with a, a group in Belarus pastors um, and at that point they had just starting to learning hey maybe we can impact others maybe we can do missions maybe we can go to other nations and I was sharing them with the story of Jeremy and Trisha and and what that meant and some some of you may remember these days but Jeremy used to play the piano here and Trisha used to work in the office. And I was able to share this with uh, the churches, the pastors in Belarus, and say, look, we had some members, and, and they were, uh, did some significant roles in our church on a week-in, week-out basis, and they left. They no longer did those roles. We've seen the same with Matt and Jerrica. We've seen it with Chad and Amanda. We've seen it with Wayne and Jennifer. We've seen these roles take place. That these, these folks did stuff here. They contributed. But then they go and they're not there. And sometimes there, there is a vacancy. There is a gap that we fill in the ministry. Sometimes there's vacancies that don't really ever get filled. But I shared with these pastors. But look what's being done. When we see how God is at work around the world. Do you think that I'm going to call up Jeremy and say, Jeremy, I need you to come back and I need you to play the piano for us. I understand you did a good job. I never heard it. 
But I understand you did a good job. But would I call him and say, hey, man, we really need a pianist. We're, we're hurting here. Do you understand how the morale is hurting when we're not singing well? You know, am I going to do that? You, you're gonna, you'll laugh at that, right? Because it's laughable. There's something bigger. But listen, let's do that in your own life. When you start extending the power of God, you're under the authority of God, and you start praying for God's work, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It may cost you money. It may cost you your agenda, your time, your physical well-being. Sometimes it may cost you to forgive someone. Do you know that cost, right? Emotionally? It's going to cost you. But when you do, when you die to yourself, God is using it to bring a people to himself and to get great glory. And we're just following what Jesus himself did. I know in America it is, what is the mark of a a successful church? Large crowds, right? Well, yeah, because we want people, we're impacting people. But every once in a while, we've got to stop ourselves and think, the effectiveness of a church isn't measured by how many people are sitting in the pews at 1130, that is not the measurement of effectiveness. It is to say, let's go out and pay the price for the kingdom's sake. Peter and John end up before the council, and then eventually they end up in prison. Eventually, James gets beheaded. Eventually, Saul comes upon the scene, stones Stephen with others. And persecution steps up and steps up and steps up until the Christians are having to disperse except for the disciples. And they all go to a gruesome demise one way or the other, save John, and that was not very pretty either. And it continues. Let me ask you this. If we vote as a church, and say, yeah, we want to bear responsibility, we want to focus to see churches reproduce to the third generation in Puga. Are you willing to vote on the price that we pay? What if the price is, well, that would be about $15,000 a year on your budget? Okay. But what if it's something else? What if it's people? What if our our church's performance in Nightdale drops a little bit? But let me ask you this. What if we want to reproduce discipleship communities in your neighborhood? What if God puts it in your heart to do that? What if the price is a night every week? Are having to deal with people's drama because you're involved with messy lives. And that drama says, okay, they got needs financially. What if it's that? What if it's to, to deal with, oh, you guys get known as the Jesus Holy Rollers in your neighborhood and you lose friendships? It's worth it, guys. It's what God has called us to do because the other alternative is just to sit there and receive and not really live. 
what the disciples learned. You see, one of the things that John and, and Peter see is that God really is interested in hurting people. He is, he's going to, he's going to set it up so they see this guy and God extends his power so, so glory gets given. One of the things that happened when we went to Puga is that we were trying to decide which, which regions do we go to and we kind of all affirmed together through after prayers that maybe we need to go down south to this region of Puga and we had no idea what we were going to meet but one of the things that happened is we went into this city and we were doing some prayer walking and talking and visiting the folks and just trying to see if anything will happen and, and we walk into the center and, and some of our ladies start talking to a group of ladies and there's a group of men they're all drinking and talking laughing they start coming and asking us, two men ask us, are you guys believers? We're looking at, how do you know what Christians are? As far as we know, there's not really anything going on in this town. And they said, well, it's interesting enough, we were coming from the northeastern part of China, we were in working businesses there, we became Christians, and we just got dropped off this morning back home. And we're wondering if there's any Christians around. How is it that God can bring a group of White folks, and African American, from Nightdale, over there, to be there exactly that time, that place, when the night before we didn't even know we'd be there. God does things like that, to, if nothing else, to show you how much he wants to bring people to himself in a place called Puga. That's one of the things that Peter and John learned. We go for healing. Healing looks a little different nowadays. But we should be able to say to Nightdale in East Raleigh, you need some counseling? Feel comfortable to come to this place, this group of people. You're, you're dealing with grief? Come to the grief share. We want to provide that for our community. You, you don't know English yet? You're new? You speak some other language? Come, we want to help you speak English and English as second language classes. You, you're lacking in food to take care of your family. Come to our food pantry. We want to help you with that. That is where we are to be. We are to be a place where that is, is it known for healing, known for love. In our area, where Hodge Road Elementary, where someone comes to them and says, man, we've got some needs that Hodge Road feels comfortable calling, hey, there's a place, Green Pines, there's a group of people there, they can help you. That needs to happen. You need to be a part of things like that because it's part of God telling a hurting Nightdale, hurting Raleigh, he wants to call them to himself. Well, I need to continue. There's more. So as we read this, the, the question that we ask ourselves is, does God always do miracles like these nowadays? I mean, that's phenomenal. Can I come up to, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in going over to the hospital. I know there's some folks in wheelchair. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take care of stuff right now. Well, yes, God can still heal today. There's not anything in Scripture that says he won't do that anymore. He can still do that. Why would God heal? Well, love and mercy. A validation to his servants. It's a sign of God's coming kingdom. We'll talk about that in a little bit. A witness to the non-Christian. I've shared with you before how this can be significant in witnessing. However, there is something unique here about Acts 3. 
that Hebrews chapter 2 says this, that our great salvation was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel is advancing in a new place and it's totally new, I think that as I read in Hebrews 2, it seems to be that God will bring wonders and signs and things like this to speak to the power of God. But friends, the gospel has been in America in an awfully long time. If folks are not convinced of the power of God through the word of God, which they can read, then do not expect that they will come even if someone rises from the dead. That's what Jesus said in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. But when it's coming into a new place, there seems to be a willingness in God's part to see miracles and show miracles to show the power of God at work. One of the things I love about going to other places where it is advancing on the front line is sometimes God allows you to see glimpses of things like this. God still does things like this, but there is something unique in the book of Acts as the the power of God is working and the church is first beginning. So should supernatural healing ever replace normal medicine? I would say no. The Bible never really says to do that. We're not going down the Christian scientist direction. Remember, who writes the book of Acts? Luke, who is a physician. He's a doctor, all right? So a doctor is giving these eyewitness accounts, but uh, you don't necessarily get the idea that he stops being a doctor, when my wife was in the hospital, I prayed for God to bring healing, but also prayed for God to give us good doctors. And I believe God answered that prayer. You see, when healing comes through a doctor or when it comes through a miracle, it's still from God. Either way, he is the God of healing. And mankind can be used in that process. So, Will everyone who prays in faith receive healing? One of the things that when we were dealing with this, I had to be careful because sometimes folks want so bad for the bad to be good without thinking that maybe God wants the bad. And we can't think of a good reason why he would want the bad. And so we start longing and thinking, well, God's told me he's going to heal. And maybe God will heal. But sometimes he does not. However, God will eventually heal everyone. I've often thought about when Jesus calls Lazarus from the dead. He said Lazarus, just Lazarus. But there are a lot of tombs there. There are a lot of dead bodies there. And undoubtedly, in a crowd that size, there were a lot of dead brothers, dead sisters, dead mothers, dead fathers, dead children in that crowd. I wonder if any one of them got mad. Okay, I see how it is. Raising Lazarus up, you're buddy-buddy. What about my daughter? Why didn't Jesus raise them all up? He could have. And he will. In Christ. He raises one up to show them all. I've got the power. One day, these names will be called out. And this is one 
to show you how it's going to happen. What is the resurrection of Jesus called? The first fruits of the resurrection to let us know that there is going to be a day when this will happen. However, sometimes God glorifies himself through sick people. Remember this lame man? How long was he lame? It's his birth and he's in his 40s. I wonder if this is the first time he prayed to ask God to forgive, to heal him. After 40 some years, you start quitting to pray things like that. But all the while, God, if you could hear, if you could know this, God is saying, just wait. The day is going to come. The day is going to come. For those of us who, when we pray and ask God, you know what? It seems like you didn't answer my prayer. Jesus is saying, wait, wait. The day is going to come. And the Bible talks about the return of the Lord. And why is it such a magnificent thing? Because it is the day when everything finally becomes normal. (laughs) And how God wants it to be normal. You see, the thing is, we often define miracles as God suspending normal laws. Normal, natural laws to prove something or to signify something. And that's often how we define miracles. But ever we thought maybe it's the other way around? This world is not normal, according to God. It is not the ideal world. It is a world with sin and sickness, with sin that we do to one another, and a falling natural disaster world when we have earthquakes and tornadoes. And, and sometimes we think, well, God, why did you allow this to happen? And, 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 and sometimes we're quick to blame God. And, and you understand that God has allowed this world to exist so that you can get to the best possible world where you love him and we're in choosing to love him and you receive God's love, that you are ushered into a world where there is no sin. But you're born out of this world. And when you see these miracles, when, when Jesus says to demons, be gone. When he says to a, a child and he says to a man, rise. And walk when he, when he touches a blind man and they can see when Peter and John says to a layman who's been born this way, get up and walk. When Jesus says to a storm, peace be still, it is letting me know that one day there is going to be a time where there is no earthquake, where there is no tornadoes, where there is no tsunamis or hurricanes, where there is no disease, where there is no lame, where there is no blind, there is no separation. And that is every one of these miracles telling us, no shame one day, no sickness one day, it's a a world to come. And so, until that day comes, God may give another message like that. Hey, so-and-so got healed of cancer. Right, Donnie? Elaine? To let us know that one day, Brother Phil will have no cancer. You feel it? You see it? Why does one get healed? And one does not. They both will be healed. So sometimes he allows the lanes to happen to let us know that they're all going to happen. It's the power of God. So what part of us should we be focused on healing? Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Which is why we may do a, a, a free sell of say, hey guys, some of you guys are lacking. Let's, let's disperse what we've got because we want to let you know that God will provide one day. 
Why, why will we minister to people at, at Carillon who are, are losing some of the abilities as they age? Because one day, God's going to say, hey, if you're in Christ, this aging thing's going to end. Praise God. And we want to minister to them and want to say, hey, God's here too. Whether it's the food pantry, our English as a second language, where everything seems as a barrier to folks who can't speak our language. To say one day, all barriers are going to be removed. Until that time, God works through us, the church. And so here they are. But what does the congregation, the audience, get? Well, as we look at this, the lesson, I didn't share you with this, the lesson from the lame man, God's greatest glory can be displayed in our greatest faults. God's greatest glory can be displayed in our greatest faults. I mean, think about it. 40 years. For 40 years. You know why he was sitting at the gate? Because according to Deuteronomy or Leviticus, chapter 21, verse 16 and 18, he could go no further. Lame people were not allowed into the presence of God. All he could do is watch the people go to give the sacrifices of praise. Just watch them. Will you help me? Will you give me food? Give me money? For 40 some years. Then one day, two men who believe in the authority of God and under the authority of God, trust in it and depend on it, will say to him, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, the name of Jesus Christ, I give to you. So can you understand his exuberance? As he looked back on it later, I don't know how long he lived. One day, his his legs would go lame again. But until that time, he would think back and say, for 40 years, what did he ever say? 40 years of my life was wasted. I could have done all these things. No, 40 years were not wasted. 40 years were only given this month of time to to give the great contrast of the power and glory of God. For 40 years, it was a message to people that would walk by. Everyone who would walk by every day for 40 years. And remember watching this man age and as he was crippled all that time. And then on the 41st year... Then they see him walking with them. What is that message? All those 40 years is showing how God's power is greater than our faults. God's power is greater than our weakness. Listen. Believer, don't hide the fact that you're crippled. Don't hide the fault. This is not about image. It is about God's power. And God's power is displayed in our weakness. If we are constantly covering up our weakness, no one can see God's glory. He said, but that's shameful. That's why God came. That's why Jesus came to get rid of the shame. And you'll find that shame can be replaced with God's glory. Lesson from the crowd. If it's God's word, then repentance is required. And yes, with the, it's the same message he preached earlier. He's just saying, look, guys, you know, this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah that God had given. And, and Pilate gave you a choice between a murderer and Jesus, and you decided to kill the author of life? Now, what's your sin? All right? You killed the author of life, 
But this one you sent us to death, God raised him from the dead. What does that tell you? God's greater than your sin. He's greater than your sin. You see, we all have chosen something that murders us instead of Jesus Christ who gives us life. When we sin, it is at the heart saying, I want this that will eventually kill me more than God who gives me my life. And Peter's saying, look, this one is the one that all, notice he says, all the prophets have been attesting to. And he talks about Samuel, he talks about Moses, and he says, all these prophets are pointing to this one man, Jesus. And if he is God's word, as we attest to, as the prophets attest to, as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob attest to, then you must repent. You must repent. He says, you've got a choice. Verse 23, shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. The other option, verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What's the choice? Repentance is turning from away from Christ or, or understanding that you're going away from Christ and therefore you will be destroyed. Do you get this? If the church's existence is because of Jesus, if the resurrection had occurred, if he is God in the flesh, then the option is if we reject him, there is eternal punishment, destruction. And the other option, God raised him up to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. The problem that a lot of us have is that we want to be blessed by God by confessing that Jesus is our Savior. But we're forgetting that the blessing of God is the fact that he turns us from our wickedness. We want the blessings of God, but can I keep my wickedness? (laughs) That's just a few pet sins, really. You know, God? Do you understand that by turning you from your wickedness is how God is blessing you? So when we're praying... For Puga, and we're praying for your communities, we're praying for Nightdale. We're praying that they get blessed by God through Jesus Christ, and they get blessed by them turning from their wickedness. So let's make righteousness fashionable. Let's make righteousness fashionable. You were as repulsed as I might have been looking at the front page of yesterday's paper. Do you understand that change doesn't happen by just condemning? But to be able to say, a marriage under God's direction is good, it is attractive, it is joyful to make one man, one woman in Christ for life. Fashionable. Right now, the world is making it unfashionable. But don't be afraid. God can use you to make it fashionable again. Be under the authority of 
Christ. Repent and let the Spirit of God work in your life. Let's pray.